Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. My usual co-host, Susan Fox, is taking a break this week, but with me is James D. Kennedy, otherwise known as DJ Chaotix. And our guest today is Gregory McMartin, uh, who is the producer and creator of Consortium. And the new game that's up on, is it Indiegogo or Kickstarter right now? Kickstarter. 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 It's called Consortium The Tower? Yes. And welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. So, um, for you have been with us twice before already. But for those who have not yet had a chance to hear about it, tell us a little bit about Consortium and and what it's like. Yeah, so at a very high level, Consortium, uh, the, the franchise, represents essentially nine the past nine years of my life, professionally speaking. Uh, we've been striving to effectively create a new genre of game, to be honest. One that inherently harnesses the inherent chaos and uncertainty of game players' actions within a simulation to actively build an unfolding narrative around you. So it's about a seamless blend of mm-hmm. interactivity and narrative. Um, we launched our first game, Consortium, two years ago. Uh, best described as a murder mystery on a plane in the future. It took place entirely within a contained, triple-deckered aircraft. Um, mm-hmm. The entire story took place about that as a murder mystery. There was mercs that boarded. There was a bunch of stuff that happened. But now we're looking to the future to build a game called The Tower, which uh, is looking to take all the stuff we invented to the next level. And in a gigantic futuristic skyscraper in the heart of London, England, in the year 2042. And so it's uh, like science fiction meets Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, we have gone on record saying that you could you could imagine uh, a game like the original Deus Ex video game combined with Die Hard. Um, but that was only if you choose to play it that way. I mean, really, mm-hmm. fundamentally speaking, this this experience we're looking to create is about having a game that re- reacts and adapts to your play style. Um, you're, you're basically able to sneak, fight, and literally talk your way through the entire experience. We have a new mechanic where you're literally able to just speak out loud anytime you want to and engage in conversation with everybody. Um, so it's, it's really, we're looking to really, really push the boundaries of, of, of where the lines between narrative and gameplay are drawn. So you really can't tell. <laughs> One, they're, they're both the same in a consortium game. Um, but it's, it is also hard science fiction, too. It's one of the, very, I think, very few video games that are not just sort of fantasy you know, fantasy stuff. Our game is, is, is beholden and sticks very closely to what could exist in the future. Um, well, it's very, uh, it is very hard SF and I've played the original consortium, uh, spent several hours on it. Uh, and, uh, it's got a very solid, it's got a very solid storyline, but that storyline is different every time you play it because the, the characters you're interacting with, take different actions based on what you say and what you do. Yeah, it's there's really a, a very big web. There's a narrative web that you basically enter into when you play a consortium game um, that is constantly watching your actions, watching what you say, watching what you don't say, watching what you do, watching what you don't do, watching where you go. And will the game will, will take that information and then the actual interactive screenplay will then um, you'll sort of reference, you'll sort of move around the story uh, very seamlessly uh, behind the scenes, based entirely on what you're doing, so you'll find that the game will be, you'll have much closer experience with the game, and you'll find that the resulting narrative will be kind of personalized to you by the end. 
you know, it's almost pretty much impossible for any one player to have the exact same story experience coming out of the end of Consortium. Um, you you had something like 400 pages of dialogue? Yeah, 433 pages. I've got the book right here, actually, if you can see it. <laughs> but yeah, it's a 403-page interactive screenplay. There's, there's over 20 actors, over 4,000 lines of recorded dialogue. Um, you know, we basically invented this new system, and then we put it to use for the first game. But uh, I'm really excited about the tower because basically we, we basically invented a formula, and now we get the chance to apply our own formula and polish it like crazy <laughs> and add so much more. Are there going to be uh, enhancements to the game engine over uh, over the previous iteration? Well, first of all, we are moving to Unreal Four. Ah, so okay. We Thank you, fir- Lord. <laughs> yeah, we built no the first offense, game. I had problems with Unity on my system. Well, actually, we built Consortium with Source, believe it or not. Um, Consortium was built with the same engine that Portal Two was built from. <laughs> um, that was it, that was Source. That's interesting. It was. It is it, Source. It didn't. Yeah. Didn't act like source. That's no, because we completely made use of the engine in a way that it's not meant to be used. <laughs> Very much so. So that that would explain the unique experiences I had at certain intervals. But that's okay. Well, I mean, you know, it was a highly experimental work, right? I mean, we really could have invented all this stuff, and we the reason why we chose source is because of the um, face poser system, the ability, the the inherent built-in choreography system of the engine is very powerful. So, yeah, uh, I have to give them that. They mm-hmm. the uh, with source filmmaker and everything that came with that update beyond, it actually made it where basically you could use it for film or for game and. It works. It works perfect for y'all's purposes. I will say that. Yeah, well, exactly right. It allowed us to make the game really because it, you know, it was such a such a tight, small environment. You're always interacting with characters. We had a lot of in, in-person choreography that needed to be done, and face poser allowed us to effectively do that with our small team of six people. Now, <laughs> how how's the migration going from Source to uh, Unreal Engine Four, and what challenges are you seeing? Well. You know, we've essentially, effectively we've been spent the last year in pre-production, and we've 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 built out the tower, and we've built out prototypes, some of the mechanics that didn't exist in the first game. Um, the the we've worked out a lot of the how we're going to port it. We have we haven't we're not actively in production right now, right? So we're um, but we've we've done a lot of work to sort of figure out what the work is going to be. And you know, to be honest with you, we, most of Consortium One was written in C plus plus, and Unreal Four is based on C plus plus. So we're essentially going to be porting over a lot of the core systems directly. Um, so it, it, it it's going to be a relatively relatively um, straightforward process. There's there's no, I mean it's there's, you know, obviously there's problems to solve, but um, nothing insurmountable really. It's all fairly straightforward. Stuff. Now, here's the question: since you're moving to Unreal Engine four, does that mean that this release is looking for a multi-platform release as opposed to yes. it being PC only? That's correct. Yeah, we are aiming for Xbox One and PS4 and PC and Mac and possibly pro- probably even Linux too. All wow! Things. Yeah, the Very engine supports nice. all those things. So we and uh, yeah, that's our goal. That's our goal. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's our goal. <laughs> the system is incredibly scalable, so I wouldn't be surprised to you know eventually see it on Android even. If, if the you had a, machines are powerful enough to run the game, that's entirely possible. You had an uh, Android tablet with, uh, you know, four cores and one of the new NVIDIA. You know, what what are they using? Te- an Android it's tablet? It's Tegra Four. Tegra Four. I think yeah. that it's possible we could port the original consortium. Like I think eventually we may issue a version of the first game with Unreal Four. Like once we've built the tower, it's it could be it would be something we could do is actually bring over all the. So sort of yeah. issue an HD version, but the, the big thing with the tower though is it's, it's a it's a it's a game about you being a super basically a superhuman being. Like as a consortium bishop, you can fly, you can land from great heights, you can jump super high, you can run so really fast. You know, so it's, it's a very intense be, visceral game. Is it going to be more of a? I guess I could say more action oriented. Is that it what I mean? If you play it that way, <laughs> you know that that's sort of the thing. Is that it's not oriented to any one particular thing. You can sneak. And equally, you can fight equally, you can talk equally, um, and you can essentially explore equally as well. So, you, so there's four sort of core tenets of the game, and they're all going to be supported equally. Mm-hmm. And you can all you can jump seamlessly between one of those four whenever you want to. So you can do a combination of those four things. Or you can focus really now, hard and try to just complete the game with just one of those things. I've, Talking that, included. That brings me to another question: Are you going to be penalized for switching between them? 
let's say you start off going stealth and you're like, nah, I can't handle this. This is too boring. I just want to kill everything. Are you going to be penalized for that uh, in no. the storyline? No. I mean, basically, you're it's an immersive simulation. So we've uh, we've, fl- we've built this huge world, very deep world. Um, the, fir- the first consortium game you know, sort of gave you a peek at that. But now that we're going to be on a tower, there's a hostage situation in the tower. So your job is to go in there and rescue the hostages. Now, if you deviate from that job, which you can, um, the game will allow you to do that you could even you could go against the grain so much and go against what the consortium wants you to do so much you could eventually get kicked out or you could even opt to out of the consortium um, at which point you're you've got somebody else there's a mysterious benefactors that can come in and effectively um sort of you could be find new friends and start doing stuff for them as opposed to the consortium so the game will allow you to do any of those things and no the game will just the story will just simply alter itself to that to that sounds very that sounds very uh deus ex human revolution-esque yeah well and, and that's uh, as you compared it earlier yeah like i said like you definitely can play the game that way <laughs> You know, you could also play the game as a super nice guy that tries to use diplomacy everywhere you can um, and effectively make half the tower like you and even fight for you. Um, wow, so walk and, around with cookies. Hey, will you fight for me? I'll give you a pretty cookie. Much. Pretty much. I mean, the thing is, because you're in this hyper-connected world of 2042, I mean, imagine we're pretty connected right now, but imagine, you know, imagine how it's going to be like 20 or 30 years from now where everybody is constantly in some form of the net. And it, you're so... Essentially, you as a consortium bishop, you are a, a celebrity of that time, and this no. huge this huge hostage situation has erupted. So the whole world's watching you and your actions. So you, there's just there's a real sense of 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 weight on your shoulders. What you do will have an impact on the world around you. You know, I was just reading um, uh, on the net the other day. Uh, DARPA is working on a mind machine interface chip, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes, that very sort of thing. <laughs> The very yeah, it's kind of funny. I'd be posted about that actually on the consortium page when, when it first got announced. Uh, it's basically being yeah, the, the consortium mind communicator, which is the device you get. That's basically a telepathy, telepathy device. It's not fantasy. It's going to be real. You know, the concept of being able to sort of transmit thoughts through a device is is, is will seem to be science fact soon enough, right? Kind of like how the holodeck is now going to be is pretty much going to be realized right now. Uh, the only problem that needs to be solved is is the. Um, is the, the floor getting getting a really good omnidirectional? Um, uh, um, what's the term? Uh, treadmill. Treadmill. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so having getting a really good omnidirectional treadmill. If you have that in place, you could make with an HCC vibe. You could effectively make a a a holodeck right now. That's really now. Nice. This gives me a question. Well, this brings up a question. This sounds eerily, in some respects, very cyberpunkish, almost. Um, in how... some ways, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh yeah, well, in some ways you could see it that way, except for the fact that it's not a dark dystopian world. Uh, that's another key aspect of the world we spent years building. Is that it's a it's a fairly positive place. We're on the verge. In our twenty forty two, we're in. We're on the verge of a utopia. Um, most militaries have been de- have been deconstructed due to a huge what's called the resource wars have happened, where there's a massive really nasty world war and then various technologies were invented that basically made those wars obsolete that fighting over the resources the, the resources themselves became obsolete so war became obsolete and we're on the path we've now we've got uh, the earth's orbit is colonized the moon's colonized mars is colonized europa is colonized your mother's uh, colonized um it sounds like a positive cyberpunk experience the like almost the opposite of cyberpunk, I guess, is exactly. what I'm trying to say. Okay, I Which, see what you're saying. that yes. sounds very unique. I would say that that is most definitely what our IP is. It's extremely unique. You know, our, our game came out two years ago. I have yet to see one single game that even rips off some of the stuff we did. It's I, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure why that is, but I, you know, we really strove to be highly original and unique, and we remain so. so. I think part of the reason for that is that it takes a certain amount of elegance in design to uh, yeah. to work in the space that you're working in. Um, it, it's <laughs> it's a lot easier to come up with a first person shooter. You know, uh, your your hero's path is essentially a rail. You shoot everything you see, and I'm a military know. guy. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I, this is an older yeah. game, but I was just playing. Um, uh, uh, Star Wars, um, oh, 
Knights of the Old Republic? No, older than that. It's, it's a great uh, game. <laughs> okay, so not Knights the Dark, of the Old Republic. It was, it was a, a... Jedi Knight, maybe? Was it Dark yeah, Forces? Jedi Outcast? Uh, oh, for heaven's sakes. Well, if you're talking I about the 90s, it would be it. definitely Jedi Knight, like Dark Forces or Dark Forces. Yeah, I think Forces it was too. Dark... I think it was... Um, it, was a shoot, it was a first-person shooter in the Star Wars universe? One Dark of the first Forces. ones? Dark Forces, yeah. E- yeah, it's it's uh, anyway. Um, the the game has you as a uh, as a Sith, and you're fighting your way through, uh, fighting oh. your way through a storyline, and and uh, mm. you know your your challenges are as the Force Unleashed. Is that what that was? That that was it. The Force Unleashed. Okay. Yes. That was yes. The yes. Yes. And Which anyway, was it's a really good game. Yeah, it's really good yeah, game. Epic game. <laughs> but you're you're uh, you're essentially on a rail. You, you mm-hmm. know, you you have to play the storyline through the way it's written. Uh, you can't deviate from it. Every level is set up right. for you, yes. and and the the goals are specifically outlined yes. for you. And even the path you're supposed to follow, yes, is is strictly specified. And you know that's really a, a very safe way to make games unequivocally. I mean, yeah, why, it is. You know, and a lot of games safe. do this. Yeah, and you have oh, yeah. you, you have the yeah. illusion of freedom in that you're free to yes. move around within the environment. You know, as mm-hmm. uh, as you move from room to room, essentially, you can go anywhere within that room and do various things. But you're not allowed to leave the room until you accomplish the goal you're sent there to do, <laughs> yeah. and you're not allowed to backtrack. Yeah, you're not you're not allowed to fail at that either. You can only succeed and then move forward and then um, succeed again. Hey, move forward. Hey, Greg, yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Since you're aiming for a Steam release, I know a lot of uh, people that play on PC, such as myself, would like to know the following. Number one, the Steam uh, Steam version, will it have Steam Workshop support? I would say almost definitely yes after we, after the main release. Because okay. Unreal 4, you know, they, they, they've done a really good job of, of supporting. There's already basically the work done to support Workshop through Steam with Unreal 4. So I, mm-hmm. I, I see it being a foregone conclusion that we'll do the same, yes. Right. But after, now, after that also follows into the next question. Um, will you prov- be providing any kind of modding kit or any kind of uh, any kind of instructions to help modders with this game? Make new consortium content in, in our game? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, there were some people that asked questions about that for our first game, but um, frankly... The, the Source it, Engine it, made that kind of... Yeah, kind of a difficult problem to overcome. I would agree was, with that. Yeah, 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 and and also our tools weren't designed to be user, you know, meant to be released. You know, there would have to be, we had to put a lot of work into it. And now though, that you know, basically we're sort of taking all that stuff and sort of doing version two point ourselves. That stuff's going to be more releasable in itself. And so I, I, I think there's a really good chance if we do release the workshop, will allow people to actually make you know their custom interactive storyline stuff as well. Well, the Unreal sure. Engine exactly. provides so many. You know, so many ready-to-go tools for for doing exactly that sort of thing, and it's it's, it it's well it's well-trodden land. It's a well-trodden. powerful engine. It, it it's really a really is. powerful engine. It's really it's, it's really mind-blowingly good. Yes. Ex- I've, been playing, the, I've been playing. I've been playing. What is it? Shadow Complex Remastered uh, yes. on there, and holy hell, is it good? Oh, <laughs> it is. Sorry, I just it's on my, I get, it's on my queue to play. Yeah, I, I actually have downloaded. I think I've got downloaded actually, but I haven't. You should yet. seriously, yeah. please, please go play it. And then also, <laughs> Unreal Tournament Four Alpha is also just so gorgeous. Like you could actually play Unreal Tournament Four Alpha on the same minimum requirements that you could play Unreal Tournament Three. Huh, that's a surprise. Not I'm, to me. I mean, the Unreal it, the Unreal Engine is is. I mean, it's really. A, it's really something special. I mean, it's, it's it, it is so flexible. We, we were looking mm-hmm. at uh, doing some virtual reality development, and we were like trying to make up our minds whether to use Unity or Unreal. Mm-hmm. Unreal. <laughs> <laughs> and stay away from Unity. Uh, well, and I, I'll I'd like to ask you questions about that later, but uh, the. Uh, the conclusion I came to was that uh, whatever we did in Unreal, the scripting engine, you know, whatever scripting we do is going to run uh, amazingly faster. You know, the 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 AI in it is going to be far faster than Unity can handle because it's C++ and it's compiled 
straight in. Scripting, much easier. Execution of the scripts, much easier. It's easier to audit your own scripts and find where the problems are much easier. Even though Unity, oh, yeah. the barrier's a little bit lower, it, it feels like that Unreal is really trying to fight that off with the, hey, you could have it for free. And then up until a certain point when you make money, it's still free. But after, I think it's $5,000, after you hit that sales point, they take a percentage. At, at which point you can afford it. Absolutely. And I'm like, thank you. This well, is the how other you, thing, this the other is thing do it. is I looked at the two engines, you know, Unreal and Unity. And, uh, you know, the sample graphics, the sample scenes that, uh, that they give you to look at. And Unreal looks like motion picture photographic realism and Unity looks like a game. Yeah, pretty it's much. Just the, the, and it comes down to, it comes down to something very basic in the rendering engine, which has to do with the, uh, the gamma. It's like the, the Unity engine works at a lower bit depth or something. I don't know what it is. But Unity um, looks like a toy. Well, this is a pretty complicated uh, discussion because it, it, it depends. It has, it has it does depend upon your people too and their knowledge. You, 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 can, you can get some pretty great looking stuff out of Unity if you have the right people and you're using it in the right way. Oh yeah, especially you can. the latest version of Unity. But you know, there's all kinds of pros and cons. I, I haven't worked with Unity too much myself, but uh, you know, I, I do know that that Unreal, that Epic actually makes games from their own engine, mm-hmm. whereas the Unreal, you know, the people that make sorry, the people that make Unity, they don't even make games with their own tool, right? So. Right there, to me, is a bit of a red flag. I prefer See, to work on an engine where the people that are making it are actually also making games with it as well. I haven't <laughs> thought about that. This is why that's, that's that every single iteration of the Unreal Engine has been followed up with Unreal Tournament. Every single time. It's a natural thing to test out the engine for sure. I mean, as a, as a just having a bunch of arenas and you know you just throw players in there and around and shoot each other, it's, it's a great way to sort of prototype. Well, and it does something more, and it, it gives the uh, it gives the uh, the playing audience a way of comparing the new engine to the old one because they can see exactly what the new capabilities are because they remember what the last one could do. Well, because it's you know you're comparing apples to apples to apples at that point. Well, one other thing you guys may or may not be aware of is with Unreal Tournament and the Unreal Engine, Unreal Engine Four the community can directly get involved and develop themselves. Pretty much for free or little to no cost, they can jump in and help become a contributor and be part of that community. As opposed to Unity, is like, here's the tools, go away. Hmm. It's much more welcoming. Hmm, okay. Hmm. I wasn't aware of that. So... How long has uh, how long has uh, consortium the tower been in pre production? Would you say it's about fourteen months, fifteen okay. months? I mean, we started uh, to be honest though that that's focused pre production. We've actually had a lot of the core storyline, mm-hmm. narrative ideas, the set, uh, and a lot of the sort of gameplay mechanics inside of it uh, on the drawing board for like six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we, this is part of a second second game of a trilogy, and we've sort of even you know, we fleshed out the whole idea for the trilogy years ago. Um, so, uh, you know, I say we we could have we sort of started focusing pretty hard on figuring out like engine stuff and actually implementing um, things in the engine about both twelve or thirteen fourteen months ago. But we came to the table with a lot of stuff already, sort of worked out. Yeah. So what? Greg, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, James. Um, Greg, I wanted to ask. When it comes to yourself and your staff, what games that have released within the last five years have been a direct influence on the direction of your pre-production regarding this particular game? That's a great question. I, I would say off the top of my head, there's a game called Dishonored uh, by oh, Arcade yes. Studios. Uh-huh. The, the level design of that game is absolute genius. Uh, I've mind that is the pinnacle of the art form, and uh, is I, I, I love that game to death. And, and that to me is uh, you know it's a very much inspired in terms of the level design I, of the tower. You're going to see a lot of inspiration from that game. Um, I so absolutely it's going to look and love. feel realistic, but it's going to be full of all, all kinds of opportunities to make use of your abilities as a player to to exploit the world and to find clever ways to sort of get yourself up into a nook and cranny or to jump up into a, into an overhang and look over the bad guys and figure out what you're going to do or 
things of that nature. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, yeah, really genius. I would also say that, that The Witcher 3 was my game, game of the year last year. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but absolutely genius game in terms of the amount of attention and detail that those developers gave that game. It's just... It yeah, CD Projekt Red, oh my lord, those guys, they... They they go above me on every single time. Speaking of Dishonored, Dishonored Game of the Year Edition, pick it up from Humble's uh, BundleStars.com or the Humble Store for ten dollars and nineteen cents. It's worth it, definitely. Absolutely. So moving on. <laughs> well, and the other thing we could do is uh we could tell our listeners that uh thanks to uh Gregory McMartin and uh What's the name of your company, Greg? Interdimensional Games. Interdimensional Games has given us a number of Steam codes for the original game, Consortium. It might be over 9,000. I am <laughs> <laughs> And if you are listening to this and you send us a notification on our Twitter account, uh, our tw- Twitter handle is Krypton Radio, and just mention that you're listening to the show, uh, you can win one of these Steam codes, and we'll be happy to give you one. You could also leave us a Facebook message. You can also go to our website and leave us a voicemail. Or, one more thing, tune in Thursday and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and check out me, Chaotix, and uh, maybe I'll give away some more codes. Maybe I'll give away more than just that. Maybe I'll give away two or three things at once. Who knows? <laughs> so... Have you thought about upgrading the look of uh, Consortium the Tower now that you're using this shiny new engine? Have have you considered maybe pushing the uh you know, pushing the the uh, the, the, gra- the polish founders. aspect? Yeah, um if if you if you watch the our, our current the current pitch on Kickstarter for Consortium the Tower, um mm-hmm. you and you compare it to the look of the first game. Uh, this is a significant upgrade. <laughs> Um, you know, oh, there's awesome. a style that our game has that we're sticking to, but we've, we've, you know, we've dramatically upped the, um, all the environmental effects and we are making use of the Unreal Engine in terms of its particle and environment effects and a lot of its rendering stuff. Um, the, there's a, there's a sort of a somewhat cell shaded look to parts of the world that we, we intend on keeping. Um, you know, we're, we're not, our intention is not to have a gigantic art staff of, of you know, mm-hmm. ar- ar- an army of, of material artists creating textures and stuff. We, our style allows for a much more linear team. It allows to, so it allows to focus on what we're trying to do, which is trying to blend storytelling and gaming into one. Um, so, but I'm, I'm pretty proud of uh, what we've achieved so far with the engine. You can see it in the in the pitch. I'm really looking forward to having a, a good hard look at that. I I did view a trailer. Um, a while ago, uh, yeah, yeah, a while ago, but it wasn't finished at the time, and I think uh, the one that you have now probably is. I'm guessing it is. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's shorter I mean, now too. that you, you have the you, Kickstarter you, you, going. You gave, you gave us feedback that it was too long. We had it was like nine minutes or something when you saw it. Now yeah, that was that was, was, that was pretty, six minutes now. Yeah. yeah, six minutes is a lot closer. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's very hard to hold the attention span of somebody for 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 three minutes. Well, you know that 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 is one of the biggest issues um, facing uh, us today in general, trying to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really really challenging. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's it, when you try when you make something truly new and original too. It's particularly challenging to try to communicate that to people. You know how is it a unique and original? Now, I, I have this theory about that, but I, I think people in general see new things they they see it as clutter. <laughs> but something new, oh, not interested. People like to have their legs you in know, the slits, you know? But that's speaking, the speaking of that, recently we found out that uh, based on a study that's been happening over, we'll say, the last 10 to 12 years regarding the Call of Duty series, people, and I know this sounds strange, people don't want innovation. They want the same old, same old, you know, cookie-cutter stuff that they know they can always rely on. This is why the Call of Duty series, the Battlefield franchise, and games that have released in a yearly cycle, such as Assassin's Creed and whatnot, have been successful. Madden football. Matt, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course, NHL and all, all those games. But, all but that, those, those make stuff. sense because they're mimicking a sport that obviously doesn't change. The rules are the same, so it, it, those make sense. But expectation oh, the, the, of, the, of lack of innovation, the... the, the 
every year a game a game is a game is comes out and it's sort of the same as last year, just mm-hmm. sort of improved graphics and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, I think to me it's a chicken before the egg problem because those companies have got their formula down, and it's not in their best interest for their shareholders to dramatically alter what appears to work. So they'll just stick to it, and then they'll make that. Um, you know, it's entirely possible that if they were to come up with some fresh new concept, call it Call of Duty, and put it out, that if it was successful, it could be wildly successful. They could they could sell double what they put with you sold, rake in all kinds of new people that have you know gotten tired of the stale same formula every year. But why would they do that? Right? It's too risky. So it's just the well, the, the extreme where, avoidance where of risk. Shareholders are involved. You don't you know, they don't want to. They don't want to rock the boat because they like their quarter their quarterly dividends. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, wanna, it's when you're, you're dealing with corporations, it's uh, you know with the public corporations, no less. It's it's quite tricky. Um, but you know, Pretty there's a much. mass amount of innovation happening out there with non-corporate built games, um, ours included. <laughs> um, so it's yeah. it's but yeah. You know, it almost reminds me of like wrestling in the WWE in some respects as well. In what um, way? What do you mean? Well. Basically, they keep using the same storylines with different people, and then eventually they do something new every so often. But it isn't enough to for the actual active fans of the uh, and I'm gonna use the term sport like myself. <laughs> it did to keep us like uh, that was so cool. Oh my god! Oh, well, it's it's um. <laughs> It's kind of like um huh, I think it's the same principle that that keeps soap operas going. I mean, you start off at a certain level and you go you have highs and you have lows and at the end you end up at about the same place you in, emotionally you were when you started. And this it's gives the you the circle of life. <laughs> yeah. And it gives it gives you uh you know, we call this uh we call this story form um, a melodrama. And mm-hmm. it it essentially allows you to keep making sequels essentially forever because nothing in the end, nothing ever really changes. You know, and that's <laughs> that's why they can get away with making so making so many Call of Duty games. And, mm-hmm. and welcome uh, to Assassin's it's, Creed. Where it's we a comfort to something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, it's like a comfort thing, right? Definitely. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's like it's like mm-hmm. mom's pumpkin pie every Christmas. You know, I think maybe I'm I'm doomed to focus on innovation. My brain demands it to to invent. I have this powerful urge to invent new things. I really do. It's it's um, inherent in my brain because I see, I know, I feel in my gut. I know what's possible. I can sort of understand what what's possible with the medium. There's you know, there's so much can be done with the interactive meeting and the idea of getting closer to, to gamers as opposed to just simply creating my story and having everybody consume it. I much prefer to have a, try to create an experience where gamers can feel get closer to the game and they they have a more personal connection, you know. So, um, Unreal mm-hmm. Engine Four, continue uh, Consortium, the Tower, Oculus Rift. Ah, yes. You know, Oculus if, Rift. If, we have one coming. Get to us in the mail because we backed them two years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait! So you're getting the new one, right? Sure the am. One... Sure am. Oh man. The brand new one. So, it's coming. It's coming to me free because we backed them. Coming to us. So, free. so I heard. <laughs> I heard you were shipping Krypton Radio, your old one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the. You don't want the DK one. Trust me. I, that's nah. It's, just, it, it's kind of a kind of a piece of history now already. You know that. The, the what are you talking about? Well, mount it on our wall and eventually strap it on Gene's face <laughs> and put him in a retirement home virtually. <laughs> What a I mean, is this, is this be, the old version? Was that the one that they ha- they had to suspend uh, via a crane from the ceiling, or because oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it weighed um, like forty pounds or something? Just, just really low resolution, and you know, uh, just 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 part of, part of very extremely prototypical, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the one that we got when we first backed them. But it's a pretty awesome gift to them to yeah. It was basically ooh shiny. That's all it was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm quite interested in experimenting with VR. We, we have we have we have already have plans on the drawing board for a custom VR version of Consortium. That's uh, I think it's pretty cool. Custom but, VR version of Consortium. Well, and the great thing is that uh, uh, the Oculus Rift is supported by the Unreal Engine Four. Oh yeah, of, out of the box, so you don't have to do any uh, uh, you don't have to do any dramatic, dramatically painful engineering to make that happen. Uh, unless you don't want people puking when you play your game. Well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's that. 
I mean, it's, it's, um, and what makes people puke is, uh, head lag. Well, you know, it, no, it's more like motion, motion sickness. It's motion sickness. It's, it's, motion it's sickness. the concept of your, your, your brain is telling you that you should feel movement where, where, but, but it's kind of getting conflicted, conflicted information from your body that's not moving, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very, very confusing for the brain. That can, that can cause you to, to get, feel very, very ill. <laughs> It's, it's, it's movement in VR that really does cause serious problems. And there's a lot of work trying to solve, a lot of work going on trying to solve that problem now. But um, really what it means is you need, to, you need to think outside the box and actually do some fairly cu- major custom work to make games for huh. VR that, that, that avoid that problem. Yeah. And well, so you're technically it's out of the box. You're right. So, and some people don't get that. It's a small percentage, though, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Don't get the motion sickness. So you'll be able to maybe boot up the Australian Tower, run around in, in VR and have a good time. But... <laughs> um, it's a fairly small percentage of people. I'm pretty sure that there are, there are a few are, there are a few artifacts of uh, of synthetic binocular vision um, that are extant in motion picture theaters as well. Um, for example, the real D process uses circularly polarized lenses, so that when you tilt your head, the uh, polarization of the light does not go away, and you don't lose mm. the effect. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if the, if the virtual cameras that represent your, the, t- the viewer's two eyes are too far apart, uh, it can make you, make you queasy, you know, cause it doesn't, doesn't match, you know, what you're seeing doesn't match what your head is capable of. <laughs> and yep. your brain says, oh, this is wrong. <laughs> uh, and, yep. <laughs> uh, and about, 12 to 14% of people who try 3D glasses just get sick and it just doesn't matter what you do. And this, it's actually a fairly high, high percentage of people. Um, my mom is that way. She can't do it. Mm. And, uh, uh, I think about one in one in 10 or so of my friends can't watch 3D movies because of it. Mm. So, and it's a lot has to do with, you know the the eye separation. That's one of the big ones. Um, strobing or lag of the head, ha, uh, you know, head motion tracking mm-hmm. uh, is another big problem. If it doesn't match what you're doing, if you're if the game engine can't keep up with your head motion or the display isn't keeping up with the movement of your head, you're going to get seasick pretty fast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my, my wife can't even play first-person games at all. She can't play Consortium without getting sick in like five minutes. So, <laughs> kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, that is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just just the general the idea of just seeing the camera whip around like that immediately gets her to feel ill. It's almost like you know, it's just not right. My body's not doing that, so no. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. she gets ill in no time. Oh no! We tried to play Left for Dead one time, and it just lasted about ten minutes. You know, I was going to mention Team Fortress 2 for a minute, trying to play as the scout. Oh, oh yeah, my right. God. Yeah, no. Now I'm done. I'm <laughs> done. Somebody give me a bucket. Yeah. Team, Team, Fort- Team Fortress 2 is, you know, that's sort of a special case. I mean, the, the environment is such, uh, so low polygon. I mean, it, it's, the game is designed to run really, really fast on really poor equipment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <sighs> There's a certain amount of, uh, I want to say disorientation that comes from being in a virtual environment that has no detail in it. Because it, you need a certain amount of grounding, uh, in order for you to believe that you're actually there. And without that, you, you lose your orientation and you, you lose the sense of which way is up and you can, you can really toss your cookies from that. Hmm. Um, there is an end scene in The Man of Steel where he's fighting this big wiggly monster uh, in a vortex over the North Pole, I think. Hmm. And I think it's like a two-minute battle scene. And during this entire scene, you cannot see the ground. Nor can you see the horizon. And uh, you can't tell which way's up. Because every single thing in the scene is in motion. And uh, in the Transformers movies, um, they, they do the same thing. Every single thing is in, uh, on the screen is in motion, and you lose your sense of which way is up. And suddenly you can't make sense out of anything. 
Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, sure what that is, uh, other than, you know, flashy, really fast stuff. <laughs> it was just so many objects in motion. I mean, you have yeah. to, you have to be, you have to have some sort of visual grounding in order for the rest of it to make sense. You have to have that visual reference point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, would you say that the, uh, the consortium engine, once you get it fully populated in Unreal, would be, mm -hmm. uh, usable for writing other stories? Absolutely. Uh, unequivocally, yes. Like, I, I was serious when I first started talking on the show here today, but that we're trying to make a new genre of game. Like, I don't, I don't mean that in any kind of audacious way. It's, it's, it's very much we're just steadily trying to realize something that we want to see more of ourselves. I want to see more games like Consortium. I, I, you know, literally, it's, it's, the Consortium is a game that requires an interactive screenplay just as much as it requires a, a, a design document. Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's where the, the story and, and, the, and the game are, are the same thing. So there's no reason why. Matter of fact, my brother Steve, who wrote the whole thing pretty much himself, mm -hmm. um, doesn't want to write. Is not super interested in, in writing non-interactive fiction anymore. He, he got so much satisfaction of writing a story, taking taking into account the player and the player's actions, and giving the player a bunch of choices, and then playing with the player expectations because he he's the one that's controlling what the player can say. Um, and so he has he really has had had a lot of fun writing that way. And he's kind of wired his brain in a way where that's like, that's just nothing more fun than writing that way. So we've sort of like, the first game, we've sort of established that formula. We, we want to do it again in the second game. And then hopefully that will cause, allow other people to follow in our wake and, and to follow our, our lead and to make more games like it and, and to open up a whole new avenue of, of experiences where you, rather than just reading a book or watching a movie or watching a TV show or for that matter, playing most video games where you just watch one cutscene after another and then just shoot some shoot some stuff and then watch more cutscenes, but you're just you're just consuming content instead to to dive into a narrative framework, a web that reacts and adapts to all your actions in the in, in the game seamlessly in a way you don't even realize are going on, and that the game is catered, the story, and the narrative is catered directly to you and your actions and your decisions. Um, to me, that's like there's, there's it's right there in front of us. We just need to pluck it. We just need to do it. And that's one of the one of our big aspirations in making this game is to try to show the way, show everybody else how it can be done, and 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 yeah, open it up as much as possible because I want to play more games like this. I'm sick of cutscene laden games. I'm done with them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds like a, a great deal of fun. I, I think uh, my is, name is Metal Gear Solid Four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to attract a lot of players. You know, yeah, I mean, it's it's so. yeah. it's like. Um, uh, Skyrim, uh, it can be modded in in that way. Uh, it takes, I think, maybe a little more work than what you've got is going to be like. Uh, but well, well, Skyrim has tons of mods. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's yeah. a oh, huge yeah. community there for sure. Um, it sold like twenty million copies or something over the mm -hmm. course. So it's gargantuan. Um, but you know, that the Skyrim also though uses the, the the sort of the standard RPG dialogue system. You know, it that there's there's where, where the NPCs are there, they, they stay in one place. They're always there. They never leave. Where they, generally speaking, they never leave. With some some exceptions, some yeah, descriptive exceptions. They, some NPCs mm -hmm. do move around the world and stuff. But generally speaking, there's always people that are always in that same location. They always say the same things. They have you can have the same conversation with them over and over again. Mm -hmm. Or they, you know, they're there to offer you a quest or to go and get get stuff for them, do stuff, and bring it back to them and that sort of thing. Um, people that don't don't feel real, in other words, right? You know, where, whereas the the entire point of the narrative framework of a consortium game is to try to make the people, the NPCs, don't feel like NPCs, but feel like human beings that have their own agendas and their own likes and dislikes, and they have their own thing they're trying to do. And you're just, mm -hmm. you're just, you know, and they're not there to serve you. They're just part of the framework of the world you find yourself in. Right, and because the way it's written, they actually do. I mean, they have they have business they attend to. Yeah, yeah, they have yeah. their jobs, right? They're, yeah. they're to being told by the people the plane or the people to do this or do that, and, and they have their own opinions. They have their own friendships within the plane, so they'll give you advice. You know, don't talk to this person or beware of this person. Or the one person will, after the after the murder happens, people start suspecting other people and go, mm -hmm. oh, "I I think you should check this guy out. I think he did it." You know, and um, so that yeah, this is just this big political framework you find yourself in. Um, it reminds me of Alpha Protocol in some ways. Yes, there, there definitely is a lot of similarities in there. I mean, you actually do build, you have like a relationship meter with every character, like Alpha Protocol, and that meter can affect how characters will 
interact with you, you know, um, story. For those so. people who are not aware of what Alpha Protocol is, it was a game that came out, I think, 2009-ish, and it was a espionage RPG. And you could play it one of several different ways, but it was by Sega, and I think, who, who was the developer? Obsidian. It was Obsidian. Obsidian. Mm-hmm. Yes, one of the best storytellers there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a definitely a great game. Um and you know it's it's uh, it's going to share some similarities in that in that particular side of things of being a, a political framework and all these characters that you know like or dislike you based on what you do that part is similar, other parts not so much but yeah. So are the decisions made by the non-player characters are they based simply on uh, what their set tasks for that segment of the game are versus? their current set emotional state and your interaction with the player or is there actually some sort of weighted goal engine at work yeah no weighted goal engine no it's, it's all up to the imagination of the writer right? okay. the writer has the writer okay. has control over all that stuff so it's totally up to them i mean they they the writer defines the the, the contextual framework of what's going on in the story and who's doing what and what are they doing and why are they doing it and you simply you can simply interact with that framework and learn about that framework mm-hmm. too asking questions and interacting with people. Um, and then you can change it as well because the, the, because your actions are taken or as part, part of his screenplay. You're, you're basically, you're in this big web, the writer, the writer is the one in total control. He's the God basically. And you're in the writer's creation. And, you know, um, so you have a lot of freedom within this creation, but you're still within the confines of the writer. That's why in many ways it is, this is a new kind of storytelling very much. So this is why I would say it's, it, I think we're trying to realize a new genre. I mean, what I want a new genre to, to emerge from this. Because of the games, there's just the endless variety of games you can get from it. Like, have you, have you heard of you guys? Probably have you heard of the game um, Life is Strange? Oh yes, yes, I played the Absolutely. demo for that. Okay, yeah. So that, that is, I, I love, I love the the world of that, the characters of that game, the the whole time travel mechanic, uh, all really great stuff. But there's one thing that really frustrates me about that game is that it doesn't let you have any freedom. Really, you're basically. Other than the, the points it wants you to have freedom, there's points in the story where it says, okay, now you can make this choice. You can either choose this or choose that. And it's very, very predefined where you have the freedom. Otherwise, you're locked in to have to do things certain ways. I remember that first puzzle involving putting a paint can up and you had to, you had to, order to get through these girls that were in front of the door to allow you, mm-hmm. allow you to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that frustrated me to no end because I, I couldn't figure out what they wanted me to do. It was like I had to just follow specifically what the designer wanted me to do. And anything else would end in, oh, sorry, game over. You just can't not do this. You know, it's, <laughs> you it's, know? it's like... It's like a... Uh, uh, oh, the word is escaping me. We've just had Christmas. It's like uh, um, one of those little calendars that you open it up and and it's like an advent calendar. Hmm. You, you have to open up each little door and get the little thing out before you can go on to the next one. You know. Well, yeah, well, exactly that, that way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it inherently has that, and you can't open it. You have to open it the way they want you to open it. There's mm-hmm. no choice in how you open it, right? Whereas I, I believe that you have to more to the full expression of what we're what I'm talking about. You have to fully embrace the player's agency and and under, and embrace what the player can or cannot do, and allow their actions to to to, to affect. The, the narrative of the game. Like for instance, in the first game, there is there is a murder mystery, but you don't have to solve it. You can just decide to not solve the murder mystery, and the game will end with a murder mystery not having been solved. And that's that's so that's the narrative experience that you had for yourself because you chose not to solve the mystery, or you can solve it, and then that dramatically changes the story. So you know, I think that stuff's important to to make to make the worlds that you're in not feel like a video game, but feel like a like a real place, and therefore dramatically increase the immersion. It's not so much uh, about a new game technology as it is about new storytelling techniques, really. Yes, yes, exactly. That's 100% right, right yeah. I mean, when I founded the company, you look at the, the mandate of our company, it's about advancing interactive storytelling. It's pushing the boundaries of that and, and, and trying to find its own art, trying to, you know, to, to, to advance as fast as possible the, the, the possibilities inherent that, that lie in, in, in a particular kind of storytelling that can only exist through the interactive medium. Right. So, um, your the Kickstarter is already running. I take it. It is running right now. Yes. Okay. The is there is there the is there a URL for it or what? How do we how do we find it? You can just search for Consortium the Tower. Uh, but okay. It's uh, it's Kickstarter dot com slash project slash idgi one Consortium dash the dash. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Dash <tower>. Excellent. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I, I can I can send you the link afterwards. But yeah, you can just search for Custodian of the Tower Kickstarter. It'll probably be the top. Okay, of that's great. That's great. And uh, so, is it? Did you just start it, or how long does how long do we have uh, before we got to we got twenty four days to go? Okay, and we've raised as of right now one hundred and two thousand dollars. And what's your goal? Four hundred and fifty thousand Canadians. We've got a ways right. to go. It's definitely to go. doable. Definitely doable. So it sounds uh, Greg, like you're gonna make it. I, I have a question for you. If you hit your gold, are you going to be uh, coming back and uh, talking to us about what you have in store? I sure. I hope so. I love. I love you guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we I, love I, you too. I just, love being on the show. Not in that way. <laughs> Gregory McMartin, thank you for joining us on this evening's episode of the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. This is episode 125. The game we have been discussing is Consortium: The Tower. The Kickstarter is running now. And um, we're very glad to have had you with us. And next time when you come back, we're going to let's talk about story development and and new directions that the game goes in and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'll bring Steve on next time, too. It's my, my pleasure to be here, guys. It's awesome. Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 125 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for January 30th, 2016, with your hosts Gene Turnbow and James D. Kennedy, a.k.a. DJ Chaotix. Our guest this evening has been the CEO of Interdimensional Games and its sequel now on Kickstarter called Consortium The Tower. To find out more about Consortium and Interdimensional Games, please visit interdimensionalgames.com. This episode will air again on January 31st, 2016 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, Thursday, and the following Saturday. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at catcarter at kryptonradio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, and we strongly suggest that you do, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2016 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi. For your Wi-Fi. <laughs>